Good morning, friends. Today is Friday, the 18th of September, 2020. It is an Ember Friday, the Fall Ember Friday, the day we commemorate Edward Bouvier Pusey. It is also Rosh Hashanah beginning at sundown. And it is the birthday of the Air Force. The Air Force came into existence as a separate service on this date in 1947. So, a lot of stuff going on today. And it's Friday. Yay, Friday. I hope it's a wonderful day for all of you. Our readings today are Psalm 69, verses 1 through 23, and 31 through 38. We have a choice between Esther 1, 1 through 4, 10 through 19, or Judith 4, 1 through 15. We're going to choose Judith just because it's a little bit less red than the Esther. Acts 17, 1 through 15. And the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 36b to 43. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Dearly beloved, we have come together in the presence of Almighty God, our heavenly Creator, to set forth God's praise, to hear God's holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others, those things that are necessary for our life and our salvation. And so that we may prepare ourselves in heart and mind to worship God, let us kneel in silence and with penitent and obedient hearts confess our sins, that we may obtain forgiveness by God's infinite goodness and mercy. God of all mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you, opposing your will in our lives. We have denied your goodness in each other, in ourselves, and in the world you have created. We repent of the evil that enslaves us, the evil we have done, and the evil done on our behalf. Forgive, restore, and strengthen us through our Savior Jesus Christ, that we may abide in your love and serve only your will. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through the grace of Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. O God, let our mouth proclaim your praise and your glory all the day long. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning is now, and will be forever. Amen. Alleluia. God is the rock of our salvation. O come, let us worship. Come, let us sing to God. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before God's presence with thanksgiving, and raise to God a shout with psalms. For you are a great God. You are great above all gods. In your hand are the caverns of the earth, and the heights of the hills are yours also. The sea is yours, for you made it, and your hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us bow down and bend the knee. 
and kneel before God our Maker. For you are our God, and we are the people of your pasture and the sheep of your hand. Oh, that today we would hearken to your voice. God is the rock of our salvation. Oh, come, let us worship. So here's an interesting thing. Interesting thing. The numbering of the verses of the Psalms that are included in the Book of Common Prayer is a little bit different than the numbering of the verses of the Psalms that are in the NRSV, even though both are considered to be NRSV. So what we're going to do is just we're, we're going to read the optional verses too as well. So we're going to read all the way through Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come on into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Many are those who would destroy me, my enemies who accuse me falsely. What I did not steal must I now restore? O oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Do not let those who hope in you be put to shame because of me, O oh Lord God of hosts. Do not let those who seek you be dishonored because of me, O God of Israel. It is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my kindred, an alien to my mother's children. It is zeal for your house that has consumed me. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I humbled my soul with fasting... They insulted me for doing so. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the subject of gossip for those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O God. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me. With your faithful help, rescue me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Do not let the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O God, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to me, redeem me, set me free because of my enemies. You know the insults I receive and my shame and dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Insults have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table be a trap for them, 
a snare for their allies. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one live in their tents, for they persecute those whom you have struck down, and those whom you have wounded they attack still more. Add guilt to their guilt. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out from the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am lowly and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, protect me. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify God with thanksgiving. This will please God more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. Let the oppressed see it and be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For God hears the needy and does not despise God's own that are in bonds. Let heaven and earth praise God, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah, and God's servants shall live there and possess it. The children of God's servants shall inherit it, and those who love God's name shall live in it. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from Judith, chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. When the Israelites living in Judea heard of everything that Holofernes, the general of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Assyrians, had done to the nations, and how he had plundered and destroyed all their temples, they were therefore greatly terrified at his approach. They were alarmed both for Jerusalem and for the temple of our sovereign, their God. For they had only recently returned from exile, and all the people of Judea had just now gathered together. And the sacred vessels and the altar and the temple had been consecrated after their profanation. So they sent word to every district of Samaria, and to Kona, Beth Horon, Balmain, and Jericho, and to Choba, and Aesora, and the valley of Salem. They immediately seized all the high hilltops and fortified the villages on them and stored up food in preparation for war, since their fields had recently been harvested. The high priest, Joachim, who was in Jerusalem at the time, wrote to the people of Bethulia and Bethomethesim, which faces Estralian opposite the plain near Dothan, ordering them to seize the mountain passes. Since by them, Judea could be inv- invaded, and it would be easy to, keep, to stop any who tried to enter, for the approach was narrow, wide enough for only two at a time to pass. So the Israelites did as they had been ordered by the high priest Joachim and the senate of the whole people of Israel, in session at Jerusalem. And every person of Israel cried out to God with great fervor, 
and they humbled themselves with much fasting. They and their spouses and their children and their cattle and every resident alien and hired laborer and purchased slave. They all put sackcloth around their waists. And the Israelite men, women, and children living at Jerusalem prostrated themselves before the temple and put ashes on their heads and spread out their sackcloth before God. They even draped the altar with sackcloth and cried out in unison, praying fervently to the God of Israel and not to allow their infants to be carried off and their spouses to be taken as booty and the towns they had inherited to be destroyed and the sanctuary to be profaned and desecrated to the malicious joy of the Gentiles. God heard their prayers and had regard for their distress, for the people fasted many days throughout Judea and in Jerusalem before the sanctuary of God Almighty. The high priest Joachim and and all the priests who stood before God and ministered to God with sackcloth around their loins offered the daily burnt offerings, the votive offerings, and freewill offerings of the people. With ashes on their turbans, they cried out to God with all their might to look with favor on the whole house of Israel. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Canticle I, the Song of Jonah. I called to you, O God, out of my distress, and you answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. And I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I ever look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep was round about me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land beneath the earth, yet you brought up my life from the depths, O God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, O God, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay, for deliverance belongs to God. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from Acts, chapter 17, verses 1 through 15. After Paul and Silas had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyon, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous And with the help of some ruffians in the marketplace, they formed a mob and set up the city, set the city in an uproar. 
While they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out to the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities, shouting, These people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has entertained them as guests. They are all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. The people and the city officials were disturbed when they heard this. And after they had taken Baal from Jason and the others, they let them go. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas off to Beroea, and when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. These Jews were more receptive than those in Thessalonica, for they welcomed the message very easily, very eagerly, pardon me, and examined the scriptures every day to see whether these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, including not a few Greek women and men of high standing. But when the Jews of Thessalonica learned that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Beroea as well, they came there too to stir up and incite the crowds. Then the believers immediately sent Paul away to the coast, but Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions to have Silas and Timothy join him as soon as possible, they left him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Canticle 18, A Song to the Lamb Splendor and honor and royal power are yours by right, O God Most High. For you created everything that is, and by your will they were created and have their being. And yours by right, O Lamb that was slain, for with your blood you have redeemed for God, from every family, language, people, and nation, a royal priesthood to serve our God. And so, to the one who sits upon the throne, and to Christ the Lamb, be worship and praise, dominion and splendor, forever and forevermore. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Jesus Christ. John chapter 12, verses 36b through 43. After Jesus had said this, he departed and hid from them. Although he had, excuse me, although he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not want, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah. God, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of God been revealed? And so they could not believe. Because Isaiah also said, God has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, so that they might not look with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Christ's glory and spoke about Christ. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Christ. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human glory more than the glory that comes from God. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Jesus Christ. Well, friends, I feel like I have a lot to talk about today, but I also feel like it's a little disjointed, like fear and humanity and all of these things. So let's just kind of go through the scriptures and hopefully the Holy Spirit will help it come together because I certainly know that whenever I say anything that is helpful, it's when I get out of the way enough for the Holy Spirit to work. So let's start with our psalm. What was really interesting to me today, and as you know, every time I read a scripture, I kind of get something different. That's what context is all about. And that's why I think that the Bible is living. It is not static. The word is alive. I really believe this. So what spoke to me today is that the writer felt this very real sense of responsibility to others. He didn't want others who seek God to be dishonored because of him. He didn't want others to be discouraged or ashamed or anything like that. Um, He was basically saying, like, let my example not deter anyone else. And I think we have to keep that in mind. I remember feeling very much this way when I stood up for justice and Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. I felt very much this way when I stood up for justice and I really got creamed by a bunch of humans for it, right? And I was like, oh no, let let the people around me not see this and then be even more fearful themselves, you know? Because that's what oppressors do, right? They make an example of somebody. That's what the whole crucifixion flogging was about. Trying to make an example of Jesus to deter others from following him. And so I and Jesus and the psalmist, not to put myself in in really great company, because again, if there's anything good in me, it comes from the spirit. But I think I can safely say that we believe that what looks like human destruction and shame may not be. And I will tell you this. I did not make my decision based out of fear and perceived scarcity. And I survived. And that's maybe what what I would like others to see is that whatever you're afraid of, whatever is keeping you from doing the thing that you know is true and holy and right, it's less than. Your immortal soul is safe with God. Let other humans do their worst. The worst in this case was was some people trying to, first trying to scare me out of standing up (laughs) and then um, making good on their threats and and trying to harm my career. And thanks be to God, I, I escaped relatively unscathed. And... 
And I think that there's a lesson in that, that, Even, even when our human best is faltering and fumbling, you know, because I didn't do everything the, perfectly. Nobody does, right? God covers it. God protects us from the deep mire and the, and the weeds that have come up to our neck. Whatever we're going through here on earth, and I don't say this lightly because I know there are many, many thousands Millions of people in this world that have been through way worse than I have ever been through. Whatever we're, whatever we're going through on this earth, God's got us. Our mortal soul is safe with God. And I think that has to be the seat and the source of our truth and security is knowing that and being able to trust in God that our life eternal is preserved. It's untouchable. And so that kind of leads me to our Apocrypha reading. I don't know, (laughs) to Judith. (laughs) Where the Israelites, or maybe the Judeans, because as my commentary says, the history seems a little confused here by the author. Because really this is telling a story and making a point. It's not... It's not setting down history. This is not a textbook, right? This is a book of stories about life and faith. Just my humble opinion. But particularly here, the history gets a little confused because the Israelites who were exiled by the Assyrians had not returned from exile. The people of Judea who were exiled by Nebuchadnezzar, did return beginning in the late 6th century BCE. And this consecration of the sacred vessels, altar, and temple um, probably refers to the events in the late 6th century BCE after the exile. Um, Also for the reader, because, you know, now there's a huge gap, but even then there was a time gap between the events that we're speaking of in the time that this would have been read and written. And so the readers would also probably, it would bring to mind what was for them recent event after the victory of Maccabees in 164 BCE. So, so this story has a lot of layers, but it, the point is not about the factual details. It's, It's about the lesson in the story itself, right? And that's the best thing that we can do is share our lessons, right? So that others may learn and grow, you know, because if we only have our particular life's breadth of experience, we're missing out. We're supposed to share experience with each other. So anyway, whether it's the Judeans or the Israelites living in Judea or whatever, they, um, I'm sorry, I don't mean that dismissively. They've returned from exile, they've rebuilt, they've reconsecrated, and now they have this other threat coming. And they start to get really concerned about this. And I think we can, we can really empathize, right? I mean, if, if we go back to my personal story, because, you know, that's the easiest one for me to tell. 
I had, I had escaped. I felt like by the skin of my teeth and with the grace and help of God from the, um, from the retaliation and a reprisal based on my standing up for what I know is right and true, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I remember praying, like, I just need a break. I just need a break. I just need like the next thing to be a safe place. And then, and then there's more, then there's a new threat. And this, this bugs my son all the time because he's like, man, just when I get one thing figured out, put away, knocked down, whatever, another one comes up. And sometimes our time on the mountaintop seems so small, so short, and our time in the valley seems so long, right? But here's the deal. The first time we head into the valley, it's really scary, right? Because it's totally unknown. Each time we head into a valley, even though each valley is different, we should have a little more confidence because we remember the last one wasn't endless. Eventually, with God's help, we slogged it through and we came up the other side and we had the hard climb of the mountain. But eventually we got back to the where we got onto a mountaintop, right? And I think hopefully that sustains us, that helps our faith and confidence and trust. And as our inventory psalm said, the rock of God, God who is the rock of our salvation. And that's really where all faith and trust comes in. And I think where we really struggle as people in trusting each other, it stems from an inability to trust God because really no human being is an appropriate vessel for all of our trust. No human being can withstand that. We are human and fallible and we are going to make mistakes and things are going to change. I find myself regretting an ill-advised promise that I made to someone. I didn't know the whole context yet and I made this promise And even at the time, I felt a little tingle of the Holy Spirit, like, hmm, because I wanted so much to be reassuring. I wanted so much to be trusted by the person I was promising this to. And I wanted so much for her to be trustworthy, right? And it's kind of, it's the flip side of the coin of, of loving our neighbors, right? We love them and we treat them like we would want to be treated and we believe in them like we want to believe, be believed in and maybe we overinvest just a little too much too soon. You've heard me talk about that before. And maybe before we make a promise, maybe before we go all in, we should take a step back, reground ourselves in really the only place that we should be all in the only being in whom we should place all our trust a hundred percent completely God. Whenever something feels a little unsteady, go back to God, go back to like we talked about before our most recent touch point, get back there and get rerouted. And then take a fresh look with fresh perspective.
And coming to our epistle reading, Acts, when we're feeling unsteady and we look around and we see somebody else that looks like they're really steady, or maybe even like things are going their way, or maybe like they've got something better than what we've got, let's look with, first of all, with clear eyes at that. What is it that we're jealous of? Is it bullshit stuff? Like fancy cars, right? Or is it something deeper? Is it the glow they seem to have? And I mean, there's quote unquote earthly stuff that that this absolutely applies for too. When we see somebody, for example, that has like really great abs, right? Like there's this young woman that I see on my walk home from work sometimes that looks like she's coming home from an exercise exercise class or something. Like she's got some kind of equipment and she's got her water bottle and she's generally wearing like leggings and a sports bra and that's it. And she has the best abs, And if I ever quite catch up to her, because I usually see her from from well across the busy street, I'm going to stop her and I'm going to say, where do you go to work out? You have great abs. I'm not going to be jealous and looking at her and saying to myself, oh yeah, she's got great abs, but, and finding things to pick apart to tear her down and make myself feel better. That's just so petty. And we should be so far above that, friends. So I think, (laughs) I think this holds true for other things too. We see someone who's having, having a success instead of being jealous of them. Why don't we like appreciate that and ask them to share it? Most people will share with you their success and how they got there. My cubicle mate at work has amazing arms. I think she told me that she's like 50. It's hard to believe, but she has this great physique. I mean, she looks a lot younger and these awesome biceps and like not a hint of like the, the wing flapping underneath the arm, you know? And I asked her about it and she told me all about her exercise routine and how she made this commitment to get back to the person that she, or the physique that she felt comfortable in. And she, she basically shared with me all her tips, t- tips, tricks, and secrets. Most people want to do that. I sat down with, um, with a successful person in my, in my profession the other day. And for two hours, he talked to me about how he got to where he is and how he thinks I could get there what steps he thinks I need to take, what guidance, what attitude, that kind of thing. Absolutely wanting to help me. A lot of people want to help the ones who come after them. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And it's not a scarce resource. Success is not a scarce resource. Hard work is not a scarce resource. 
we were meant to, we were created to help each other, share with each other. Jealousy comes from a place of fear and perceived scarcity. Fear about something inside of us that we're not comfortable with, some projection, some inner work that needs to be done and perceived scarcity that whatever asset we see the other person having, whether it is as in the case of our reading and acts, belief. honor, power, etc. or whatever, there is enough. There's enough to be shared. And the paths aren't meant to be secret. Everybody's path is different, but we can certainly learn and be informed by somebody else's story. Our sacred stories are so important. We read so many self-help self-help books, even Christian self-help about how to get here and how to get there and how to get that. Let's first focus on what it is because underneath the superficiality, underneath the jealousy, there is something that's calling to us. I would like to have that. My looking at this young woman's abs, it says, I want to be healthy. I want to take care of my body, right? There's a call there. Let's use it to lift each other up. Because when we help each other, when we look under the jealousy, it turns to admiration. And both parties are helped. All right, I think I've gone off on that enough. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Our gospel reading from John. I, I really struggle with places where it says that God blinded somebody's eyes and hardened somebody's hearts. I really think what's trying to be said here is that it happened for a reason. If we go back to our psalm, the psalmist talks about at an acceptable time, which I think is also the title of a really good Madeline Langle book. But timing and context is everything. I think what's meant here is that it wasn't their time. It wasn't their time to open their eyes or their hearts. The timing and context just weren't there. And all of that happens, I don't want to say happens for a reason, because I don't think that really captures it, but, but all of it is used, right? Even when our hearts are hard and our eyes are closed, somewhere our soul is learning, our soul is keeping track. And when our time comes for our eyes to open and our hearts to soften, then we learn the lessons that our soul has been saving up for us all of this time. Nothing is lost. 
and nothing is wasted. It's all brought to fruition. Maybe not even here on this earth, but in heaven for sure. Nothing's lost. We don't, we don't like miss the opportunity and it's gone forever. And so often the catalyst for the softening of our hearts and the opening of our eyes is another one of us, a sacred story a connection with an experience with, I think of my friends who have overcome a bias and it's almost always because of somebody they knew. I think of my friends who are, I have, I have friends who are dear to me and have like really big biases in one area and like nothing in another. Like I have a friend who's super racist and yes, she's still my friend. I still love her. I completely disagree with that. I really try to be anti-racist, to look hard at my biases. And I'm learning. I'm doing the best I can. But I haven't disowned my friend because of her racist beliefs because I don't think that helps anybody. It's not going to help her become anti-racist, right? But she's not homophobic at all. And I didn't understand those things. They seem very juxtaposed. And then just by bystance, she, she mentioned to me about a mutual friend of ours and his same sex partner. And she started talking and I realized that what the reason that she was not homophobic was because she had personal relationships with LGBTQ plus people, including myself, although she always kind of like tries to look past it. I think that's the thing with being the B and the LGBTQ plus is that it's easier, I think, for people to kind of like brush past it or not acknowledge it, um, think it's a phase, something funny like that. But anyway, it was her personal experience with a couple of different homosexual couples that helped her see past her bias. She knew and loved them and then became aware and her eyes opened in that particular respect. And it gives me so much hope. And it's another reason that I think it's so important to, with God's grace and discernment in an acceptable time, <laughs> in the right moment, share our sacred stories, be ourselves. So that's what I have to say for today. I know I waxed on a lot longer than I have been lately. Um, I love and cherish you all. And thank you for being here with me. We are going to pray the prayers for healing again. I have a particular person that I'm really concerned for that is really suffering from what appears to be mental illness. Um, and there's still so much stigma in our community around mental illness, you know, like if she were having heart palpitations, she'd go to the doctor, right? But, wow, that sounded a little judgy. I'm sorry about that. So, um, so man, I'm just entering into prayer and praying for her, for her release from whatever is keeping her from getting help and 
that the help be um, holy help when she gets it. And so I'm just, I'm going to pray and keep praying for her. Even though she's been unkind to me too, folks. Now that sounded like I was puffing myself up. I'm sorry about that. All right, well, let me get past my fumbling humanity and, and let's pray. Let's pray here. Oh, we're not even at the litany of healing yet. All right, guys. Let's affirm our faith together. We believe in God, the nurturer and teacher, from whom is named every family in heaven and on earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, begotten of divine love, who lives in our hearts through faith and fills us with that love. We believe in God, the Holy Spirit. She strengthens us with power from on high. We believe in one God, source of all being, love incarnate, spirit of truth. Hear our cry, O God, and listen to our prayer. Let us pray. Our creator in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your dominion come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the sovereignty, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Now let's pray prayers for healing. We'll use the litany for healing beginning on page 33 of Enriching Our Worship, Volume 2. Let us name before God those for whom we offer our prayers. God, the creator, your will for all people is health and salvation. We praise you and thank you, O God. God, the incarnate, you came that we might have life and might have it more abundantly. We praise you and thank you, O God. God, the Holy Spirit, you make our bodies the temple of your presence. We praise you and thank you, O God. Holy Trinity, one God, in you we live and move and have our being. We praise you and thank you, O God. God, grant your healing grace to all who are sick, injured, or disabled, that they may be made whole. Hear us, O God of life. Grant to all who seek your guidance and to all who are lonely, anxious, or despondent a knowledge of your will and an awareness of your presence. Hear us, O God of life. Mend broken relationships and restore those in emotional distress to soundness of mind and serenity of spirit. Hear us, O God of life. Bless physicians, nurses, and all others who minister to the suffering, granting them wisdom and skill, sympathy and patience. Hear us, O God of life. Grant to the dying peace and a holy death, and uphold by the grace and consolation of your Holy Spirit, those who are bereaved. Hear us, O God of life. Restore to wholeness whatever is broken by human sin, in our lives, in our nation, and in the world. Hear us, O God of life. You are our God who does wonders. 
You have declared your power among the peoples. With you, O God, is the well of life. And in your light, we see light. Hear us, O God of life. Heal us and make us whole. Let us pray. Our sovereign God, accept the fervent prayers of your people. In the multitude of your mercies, look with compassion upon us and all who turn to you for help. For you are gracious, O lover of souls, and to you we give glory, creator, incarnate, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. We have a series of special collects for the ministry for Ember Days, so we're going to read those today as well. For those to be ordained, Almighty God, the giver of all good gifts, in your divine providence you have appointed various orders in your church. Give your grace, we humbly pray, to all who are now called to any office and ministry for your people. And so fill them with the truth of your doctrine and clothe them with holiness of life, that they may faithfully serve before you, to the glory of your great name and for the benefit of your holy church. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. For the choice of fit persons for the ministry. O God, you led your holy apostles to ordain ministers in every place. Grant that your church, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, may choose suitable persons for the ministry of word and sacrament, and may uphold them in their work for the extension of your kingdom. Through the one who is the shepherd and bishop of our souls, Jesus Christ our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. For all Christians in their vocation, Almighty and everlasting God, by whose spirit the whole body of your faithful people is governed and sanctified, receive our supplications and prayers, which we offer before you for all members of your holy church, that in their vocation and ministry they may truly and devoutly serve you. Through our sovereign and Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A collect in commemoration of Edward Bouveri, sorry, Pussy. Grant, O God, that in all time of our testing we may know your presence and obey your will. That following the example of your servant Edward Bouvier Pussy, we may with integrity and courage accomplish what you give us to do and endure what you give us to bear. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And lastly, a collect for Fridays. Almighty God, whose most dear incarnate went not up to joy, but first suffered pain, and entered not into glory before they was crucified, Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, 
may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your begotten, our Savior. Amen. Let's use, as we have been so often lately, our prayer for mission as the prayer attributed to St. Francis. God, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. In the place for hymns slash authorized intercessions and thanksgivings, let us intercede on behalf of all who are suffering. I think it is part of this pandemic. It's the second arrow, really, that there's not only physical sickness, but the isolation and the fear have brought about so, so much mental sickness. And I ask for God to heal that. So let's pray this prayer. For one suffering from mental distress, it's found on page 67 of Enriching Our Worship, Volume 2. Blessed Jesus, in the comfort of your love, we lay before you the memories that haunt your beloved, the anxieties that perplex them, the despair that frightens them, and their frustration at their inability to think clearly. Help them to discover your forgiveness in their memories and know your peace in their distress. Touch them, O God, and fill them with your light and your hope. Amen. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication to you, and you have promised through your well-beloved incarnate that when two or three are gathered together in Christ's name, you will be in the midst of them. Fulfill now, O God, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth, and in the age to come life everlasting. Amen. Let us bless God. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. We live without fear for our Creator has made us holy, has always protected us, and loves us as a good mother loves her children. Go in peace to follow the good road, and may God's blessing be with you always. Amen.